We're going to go to the book of Psalms and Psalm number 33. The book of Psalms and Psalm number 33. I appreciate the music around here. Very thankful for all the hard work that goes into practicing all the special music and the choir specials and all. I, I just believe at a church service you ought to have God-honoring music. And I do believe we have that around here. And I know it doesn't happen by accident. And so I want to thank everyone that worked so hard to make that happen. Psalm 33. And when you find that, if you'd stand with us for the reading of the Word of God in honor of His Word, unless you're not well able to stand, and then God understands all about that. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one there in front of you. And uh, under one of those chairs, we'd love for you to follow along if you so desire. Psalm 33, verse number 1. The Bible says, Rejoice in the Lord, O ye righteous, for praise is comely for the upright. Praise the Lord with harp, sing unto him with the psaltery and an instrument of ten strings. Sing unto him a new song, play skillfully with a loud noise. For the word of the Lord is right, and all his works are done in truth. He loveth righteousness and judgment. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. He gathereth the water, waters of the sea together as in heap. He layeth up the depth in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spake, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. The Lord bringeth the counsel of the heathen to naught. He maketh the devices of the people of none effect. The counsel of the Lord standeth forever, the thoughts of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, and the people whom he hath chosen for his own inheritance. I'm going to try to preach this morning on a blessed nation. Let's pray and we'll get going. Heavenly Father, one final time we ask again for your blessing and power and guidance in all that we say and do. We do pray for the listeners, Lord, that you would give them an ear to listen, a heart, uh, Lord, ready to receive whatever whatever it might be that you have for them this morning. Father, just guide and direct us, help us, Lord, give us clarity of thought and speech, and that unction that can only come from you. We thank you for all that's accomplished, for we ask it. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you so much for standing, and please do be seated. We've been talking a lot about the blessedness of the Lord the past six or seven or eight Sundays. And uh, I think it's good that we would end uh, this series, if it has been that, with uh, this thought, uh, a blessed nation. Because the blessedness that God extends to men is also offered to nations. And I'm thankful for that. And when God is the Lord of a nation, and, and I, I want really, to really Im, Im, impress that thought, express that thought. When God is the Lord of a nation. What do you mean by that, preacher? Well, we know there's a God. Somebody say amen. He's over all, created all, sees all. Um. But for him to be Lord is on our part. That means that he would guide us, he would direct us, that we would listen to him, we would follow his precepts, we would be determined that we're going to do things God's way. 
that we would allow him to be our Lord. And when God is the Lord of a nation, the nation and his people will be blessed by him. Well, how do you know that? The word of God says so. And we do believe the Bible. It is the word of God. And uh, the Holy Spirit gave this reminder to Israel here in this psalm, it would seem, during a time of national crisis. We didn't read down into it, but verses 16 and 17 suggest that the nation was under attack. The enemy, the enemy must have had a bigger army uh, than they. It was a mightier force. They, they were staring, their, staring into their eyes at soldiers, had mounted troops. And in verses 18 and 19, without getting into it and working it all together, verses 18 and 19 implies that the cities of Israel had withstood a long siege. Uh, but hope was running out. The, the gnawing hunger pains that they had of famine were wearing down the people's resolve. And unless God quickly and, and uh, uh, mercifully delivered them, they would succumb to their enemy. Verse 12 may supply the reason for the desperate situation that Israel found itself in at that time. It says, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. And the people whom he hath chosen for his own inheritance. Um, it, it could be that Israel had lost the blessing of God because Israel had ceased to recognize God as her Lord. He was God. They looked at it. They had a form of religion with no power thereof. I mean, they were going through all the motions of everything. But really, God was no longer their Lord. They had made up their own precepts. They had made up their own rules. They had made up their own standards. Israel's kings had ceased to honor the Lord in their leadership. Israel's laws no longer reflected the law of God. Israel's culture was polluted uh, by the uh, the sins of idolatry and immorality and injustice that God could no longer ignore. They were a mess. And having forsaken the Lord, Israel had forfeited the blessings of God. But God had not forsaken His people. He's not that kind of God. He's very long-suffering, loving, kind, gracious, merciful. We know that is absolutely the fact. And if Israel would turn back to Him in their hour of need... God would bless Israel once again, as he did over and over and over and over. Even if you've read the book of Judges, you've seen it over and over and over again. Psalm 33 was written to call Israel back to the Lord and back to his blessing. However, the the hope of verse number 12 was not for Israel alone. It's a timeless promise, truly, given to any nation whose people and whose government pledged their allegiance to the Lord. And this promise begins with a call to joy. I love it the way that it begins. Look, no, look at verse number one again. It says, Rejoice in the Lord, O ye righteous, those that are doing right. For praise is comely for the upright. Praise the Lord with harp. Sing unto him with psaltery and an instrument of ten strings. Sing unto him a new song. Play skillfully with loud noise. True joy, real joy, true joy is always connected with a person. The Lord. It's connected with God. I'll say it again. True joy is always connected with God. Nehemiah 8 verse number 10. The last part of that verse says. The joy of the Lord is your strength. And that's a very true statement. 
And I'm telling you, when we have the joy of the Lord, the joy that only God can provide, it does give us strength to live the life that God would have us to live. Uh, the, The Lord is a specific person. It's talking about the eternal, almighty, self-existent Jehovah of the Bible. It's talking about our creator God. It's talking about the one that rules over this world. Well, I tell you what, it seems like this world is out of control. The world is out of control, but God's not out of control. He sees all, he knows all, he is still watching over all, and he has a plan, he has an end plan, and if you're a Bible reader, you have begun to recognize that uh, it's a good possibility that we're coming to the end of his plan. It's a real good possibility that it, that could be coming at any time whatsoever. Well, what are you trying to do? You're going to set a date? Heavens no. The Bible says no man knows the date. It could be five days, it could be 50 years, it could be five minutes. Truly, that's where we are. That's exactly where we are. And I'm very thankful that we know that because we have the Bible. But we have to recognize that God is in control. He is still sitting on His throne. He's still all-powerful. I'm telling you, there is no other God, nor is there any other source of genuine, everlasting joy. The joy of the Lord is unlike any type of happiness that this world or any fleshly person has to offer you, I'm telling you, it's completely different. Completely different. And true God-given joy is expressed in praise. I'll say it again. God-given joy is expressed in praise. It's what he said here. It's very obvious here. said that praise is comely. It's comely. What's that? What's that about? Well, it's not a word we use a whole lot today. It's a word that means decent, suitable, proper, becoming. It, it adorns our lives with that which God and, and godly men find desirable. I, I'm telling you, there's nothing comely about profanity. No, no, no. There, there's nothing comely about a bitter and hateful speech. Uh, the voice of joy is the voice of praise. And the voice of praise adds beauty to our lives. I'm so very thankful that we still have a church that opens up old hymn books and sings praises unto our Lord. He is worthy of our praise. And I'm telling you, it does something to a person to open up that hymn book and to open up their mouth and to sing praises unto Him. It does something to a heart that nothing else can do. It does something to a life that nothing else can do. It can bring joy that can have be had no other way when we begin to sing praises unto our wonderful God who is worthy of our praise. Praise is comely, it's decent, it's suitable, it's proper. God deserves our praise. And praise is commanded. It's commanded. Praise the Lord with harp. It's commanded. God commands us to express our praise with music. With music. That'd be godly music. Godly music. Well, you know, you think you just consider yourself an expert about all this? No, but I know someone who most people would consider to be an expert in music. His name was uh, Johann Sebastian Bach. And here's what he said about it. No, this is great. This is great. No, you'll love it. This is great. 
Here's what he said. He said, quote, The final aim and reason of all music is nothing other than the glorification of God and the refreshment of the Spirit, end quote. No, Bach said that. Well, I'm telling you, his music was, yeah, it was something else, absolutely so. And I had really no idea that Bach was such an admirer of God. But he had the right idea about music, didn't he? The end result of all music should be to honor and to glorify God. And God commands us to express our praise in song. He said to sing a new song. I got saved out of a life of drug and alcohol addiction in 1984, April 1984. The music that I listened to at that time wasn't the kind of music that honors and glorifies God. But it wasn't very long before somebody gave me a cassette. I don't have time to explain that to your younger people that are here. Gave me a cassette tape that I put into my cassette player in my 69 Ford pickup. And this strange music came out of there. It was piano. Just piano? Yes, it was piano. And then one person started singing. Just one person? Yes. And what were they singing? Oh, songs like Amazing Grace. Uh, There's Power in the Blood. Oh, man, alive. That was probably weird to you. It was weird. And here's why it was weird. Because it's like, man, that's good stuff. No, you're talking about an old junkie that was just saved by the grace of God and listened to everything but good God-honoring music. But when I plugged that into my cassette player that day and my 1969 Ford pickup and music began to come out of my speakers, it's like, glory, that is something. How come I've never heard anything like that before? You know what it did? It brought me joy. I mean, joy. Not a drummed up happiness like some of the music of today does and gets you going and all that stuff. No, no, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about joy. Because the Holy Ghost of God said, that's the kind of stuff you ought to be listening to. And, and, and God was honored by that and lifted up by that. And you know what it did to me? It gave me joy. Absolutely so. It was a new song. It was unlike anything that I had experienced before. And it did something to me. Because it honored and glorified God. It wasn't all about, are you still listening to me? It wasn't all about Bill Marshall anymore. It was all about our great God. And man, when they began to sing about Him and His amazing grace and His great power, it did something in my spirit. And it still does today. Everything about our relationship with God is marked by newness. Come on, a new birth, we get saved by the grace of God. Uh, The Bible calls it being born again. A new birth, becoming a new creature in Christ, living by new commandments, looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth. I mean, everything is marked by new. I'm telling you, if you've made a profession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you made some profession along the way somewhere, but nothing ever became new to you, you didn't get it. No, I don't mind. I'd say it again if I need to. You didn't get it, I'm telling you. Being born again by the Spirit of God, being saved by God's grace, when the Holy Ghost of God comes to live inside of someone that has trusted Christ as their Savior, there's a change. It's different. 
You see things different. You hear things different. You look at things different. I'm telling you, it's different. And God begins to change you from the inside out. He, be, he changes your heart and, and you see all these new things and He begins to change you from the inside out. I, I mean, it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. Our singing is to spring. Our singing is to spring from the depths of the new life that we have in Jesus. I, I, was, I was able to go to church some of the first times that we ever went to church. I was able to go to church and open up the hymn book and sing songs that way because of something that happened inside of me. But as I began to sing that way, it affected me in the way that nothing had ever infected and infected. Infected, affected. Come on, give me a break. I'm just an Oklahoma hillbilly. It affected me like nothing had ever affected me, affected me before. And it gave me joy like I'd never experienced before. And I had everything this world had to offer at one time or another. Never brought me joy like that. It never helped my spirit like that. So it starts out with praise. And then it talks about the cause joy. Verse number four says this, for the word of the Lord is right and all his works are done in truth. Excuse me. The word for there at the beginning of the fourth verse signals that the psalmist is supplying reasons why God's people can and should rejoice in him. No, God's people can and should rejoice in him. And he gives us three of those. Talks about God's moral character. We read verse 4. Look at verse 5. He loveth righteousness and judgment. The earth is full of his goodness of the Lord. So with his word, God speaks that which is right. Okay. I'm glad I have a Bible. Okay. <laughs> okay I'm not going to stop there. I'm glad I have his word. I, I, I'm glad I can trust this book. No, no, what, God speaks that which is right. Well, preacher, I'm telling you right now, I don't, I, don't, I don't agree with all of the Bible. Then you're wrong. Because God is right. No, no, everything God says is right. Well, oh, I, well I don't necessarily feel like, it doesn't matter how you feel. It doesn't matter how you feel about this book. I'll say it again, it doesn't matter how you feel about this book. His word is right. His, his word is true. His word is forever. No, no, no. And so what we are supposed to do, because we are saved by the grace of God, is to accept his word as right, because as we do and apply it to our own life, it helps us to live a righteous life. And that's what God wants for all of us. He wants us to live a righteous life. What's a righteous life? Is that that's some kind of a mystical, spiritual term? No, 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 no. Living a life of righteousness just means that we're doing things God's way instead of our way. Come on, I know we've all turned. No, no, it's, it, it's, 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 I'm telling you, we live in a situation, we live in a, we live in a generation, we live in a time in our world, in our nation right now where every man just does what's right in his own eyes. Whatever he wants to do, however he wants to think. Really, it doesn't matter what the Bible says. It doesn't matter what God says. But I'm telling you, this word is still God's word. It's still right. It's still true. I, I mean, with his word, God speaks that which is right. All his works are done in accordance with truth and goodness. All of his works. No, no, no. God is a God of truth and goodness. And the whole earth is full of his goodness. And the whole world should be full of his praise. Somebody say amen. amen. 
The whole world should be full of his praise. Everybody should be praising God. Everybody should be praising God. This whole world should be praising God. Well, how come? Because he's God. He created the world. He created you. The whole world should be full of his praise. And it talks about God's magnificent creation. Verse number 6, By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. He gathered the waters of the sea together as in heap. He layeth up the depth in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spake, I love it, for he spake and it was done. He commanded And it stood fast. (laughs) So the psalmist begins to reflect on that which God has made. He made the heavens and all the hosts of the heavens. God did. He did that. It's talking about the visible heaven with its billions and billions of stars and galaxies. God made that. And it's talking about the invisible heaven that's inhabited by all the angelic hosts of God. God made that too. No, it's a very real place. No, no, I said it's a very real place. It's a place where God lives. It's a place where God rules from His throne. Heaven is a real place just like hell is a real place. I'm telling you. And God made that. And He made the seas and all the treasures of the seas. You know, the universe is composed mostly of vast expanses of empty space. It's punctuated by stars here and galaxies here. The earth is mostly covered by the vast expanses of oceans, much of which is a vast storehouse of unknown treasures that have never been explored before. Here's the truth. The one that made it all is infinitely bigger than all that he has made. And he's infinitely more beautiful than all the beauty he has created. And he's more mind-blowingly wonderful than any of the wonders that he has created. There's more to God to be praised than we have breath enough to praise him. Hallelujah. That's our God. Mercy. We take for granted. We take for granted every day. We take for granted that he wakes us up. We take for granted that the sun comes up. We take for granted that there's stars in the sky. We take for granted that the birds are singing. We take for granted so very much. I'm telling you, everything we see, God created. Everything that happens, God's in control of that. There is more, there is more to God to be praised, I tell you, than we have breath enough to praise him. And we don't spend near enough time praising Him. It's a wonderful thing when we come in here and we can open up the songbooks and sing praises unto our God. But I'm telling you, it's not, it it, it should not be uncommon for us to praise God throughout the day when we have an opportunity to do so. Thank you, Lord, for allowing my heart to keep beating. Thank you, Lord, for the eyes that I can see with. Thank you, Lord, for the ears that I can hear with. Thank you, Lord, for the feet that I have on the bottom of my legs. Thank you, Lord, for the hands of which I can pick up something. Thank you, Lord, for the children that you've given me that I might raise them in your nurture and admonition. We ought to be thanking the Lord more than we do. Did I say that loud? He's worthy of our praise. We're talking about an all-knowing, all-seeing, all-loving God. And He's worthy. He's worthy. He's so worthy. 
And the psalmist reminds us of how God made the universe and all that it contains, how He made it. He spake, and it was done. (laughs) Now, God spake, and it came into existence. The Latin puts it like this, created ex nihilio, and I don't know if I said that right, but I wrote it down right. What it means is, out of nothing, God created everything you see out of nothing. Did you hear about the scientist that was arguing with God? He said, God, I believe we've come up with a, with a, with, I believe we've come up with a formula that we can create life. And God said, uh, well, uh, you think you can do that, huh? Yep, yep, I think that we've got enough of the chemicals and everything, and that we've got a, a way to, to uh, put in the electric sensories and all of that, and that we can create life. And God said, well, I did that with dirt, you know, dirt. And he said, yeah, 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 we got to figure it out. And so we're going to take some dirt and we're going to create life. And God said, we'll make your own dirt. God created everything we have and everything we see out of nothing. That's our God. Preacher, I can't even believe you believe that. Look, if I didn't believe that, if I didn't believe that God created the heavens and the earth, spoke them into place, I might as well just go get me a job selling cars somewhere. If I can't believe the very first, if I can't believe the very first verse in my Bible, there's no sense of me in believing that God sent His only begotten Son to save my soul. There's no sense of me believing anything else that's in this book. I'm telling you, God is God. And He did create everything that we see out of nothing. He spake, and it happened. Everything came into existence. Please get this. Everything came into existence by the Word of God. The Word of God, by the breath of His mouth. It's no more difficult for God to form worlds than it is for us to form words. God speaks, it happens. And the psalmist goes on to instruct us how to respond to our great God of creation. Verse number 8 there again. uh, The Bible says, Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of Him. How we respond to our great God of creation. In fear and awe awe and worship we've lost sight of God now we as a people we've lost sight of God we think he's aged we think he's some old guy Hollywood's mocked him and made movies of him and mocked and ridiculed him A lot of people are just trying to do away with him, which will never happen. But we've lost sight of God and who he really is. And we should respond to him with fear and awe 
and worshiping Him in spirit and in truth. Because of God's matchless counsel, look at verse 10. It says, the Lord bringeth the counsel of the heathen to naught. He he maketh the devices of the people of none effect. The, The counsel of the Lord standeth forever, the thoughts of His heart to all generations. You know, it's really something. Every man, woman, boy, and girl lives by counsel. Whether it's their own counsel, that of others, or the counsel of the Lord. By counsel, kings make war. By counsel, men make plans. By counsel, men pursue dreams and build their lives. And on and on we go. In the final analysis of all of this, it will not be the counsel of men that will determine the destiny of people and nations, but God's counsel. God's counsel. God's counsel. I have to confess that I am a hardhead. Don't say anything, honey. She would confess it also. I'm a hardhead. And God's had to teach me a lot of things the hard way. Shame to say. Are you still with me here? Had to teach me a lot of things the hard way. What I'm learning now in my uh, latter years, that sounds pretty good, doesn't it, for an old guy? What I'm learning now in my latter years is that if I will just take heed to the counsel of God, things will go a lot smoother. Now, if I could get this drilled into our young people and our middle-aged people (laughs) and even some of our older people, no doubt we'd all fare better, wouldn't we? The counsel of the Lord is right. The counsel of the Lord is good. The counsel of the Lord is just. I'm telling you, we'll never go wrong listening to the counsel of the Lord. And when we begin to think that we can do our own, when we begin to think that we can mix the things of the world with the counsel of God and it's just all going to pan together and work out together, you know, it's just better if we just allow God to give the counsel. And we accept it from Him. And we heed what He has to say. Because everything's going to go much, much better, no doubt about it. So therefore, it is futile truly for nations, not only nations, but churches or families or people to follow counsel that does not come from the Lord. It's futile. So what's your point, preacher? Well, the point is, the Lord is an all-powerful, sovereign God. Absolutely so. He's not some old guy. He hasn't lost touch with reality. He's not lost touch with humanity. No. He's still in control. He created the world by His own power. The final destiny of all men will be determined by His counsel. Nothing will frustrate His plans. I'm telling you, that is why every nation should turn to the Lord and make Him their God. And that's why the United States of America needs to turn back to God. We need to turn back to God. Well, I'll tell you, preacher, 
The United States of America is a Christian nation. It was founded on Christian principles, I'll give you that. But she's no longer the Christian nation she once was. Men decided it was more important to do other things on Sunday than give that day to God. At one time when I was a kid, I know, I know, you can't even believe I can remember that far back. But one time when I was a kid on Sundays, nothing was open except church. Nothing. I can remember Mama many a time getting in her old Pontiac. Come on, we're going to go down the cliffs. That was the Texaco station down on 2nd Street in Lawton, Oklahoma. We're going to go down the cliffs before, Mama. Got to get some gas. Can't get gas tomorrow. Oh, okay. Now everything's open. No, we've pretty much turned our back on God's counsel, God's truth. I do believe that's the reason that our nation is in the shape that it's in right now. No, I believe that with everything in me. I wouldn't mind it. I, I, would, I would stand and tell the president, anybody that. I'm telling you, I, I believe that's why we are in the shape that we are in right now. Because we quit taking God's counsel. God may be somewhere in everybody's life. Well, I'm telling you, God's in my life. But where is He? Is He on the throne of your heart? Or is He just part of your routine? See, there's a condition. Look at verse 12. No, we're almost done. Look at verse 12. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord and the people whom He hath chosen for His own inheritance. So the blessedness, according to the Word of God, I'm not making it up, is reserved for nations who make God their Lord. Come on. Remember what I said the first part of the message about the Lord. It's one thing to know God, and I certainly hope that everybody in here already does. I certainly hope that everybody in here has already trusted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. And if you haven't, we'll certainly give you an opportunity to do that before this service is completely over. But it's one thing to know God. It's another thing to make Him the Lord of your life. That He guides you and directs you. Here's what that does not mean. It's more than just printing in God we trust on a currency. It's more than that. It's more than appending God bless America at the end of political speeches. It's more than that. It's even more than just acknowledging our past religious heritage. Here's what it means. The nation that God will bless is the nation which respects His laws. And the nation that upholds His truth. And the nation that trusts in His goodness. And relies on His mercy. And the nation that honors Him alone as its God. We have left as a nation 
worshiping and honoring the one true God as a nation. It's just the truth. You can't look at our country and see anything different than that. And according to what God has to say, any nation can and will be blessed who makes God her Lord. Our country's in a mess. And her one true hope is to turn back to God. And that has to start somewhere. Will you allow it to start with you? See, it goes for individuals too. Everyone needs to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. Everyone needs forgiveness of sin. Somebody say amen. Everyone needs to know Christ as their Savior, but the Christian life is so much better and so much more productive spiritually when you make Him the Lord of your life. I would say we'd live in a much better world today if everyone just made Him the Lord of their life. I don't think we'd see all the rioting and killing and destroying going on from a people that made God the Lord of their life. Yeah, preacher, I'm telling you, our country needs help. Right, absolutely, I'm in agreement. Watch, somebody needs to do something. Yeah, you. And me. I mean, where's it going to start? The Bible says judgment begins at the house of God. So where's it going to start? Let Him guide you. Let Him always be part of your decision making. Let Him show you how He wants you to live by taking heed to His Word. Let Him make you a better husband. Let Him make you a better wife. Let Him make you a better son. Let Him make you a better daughter. Let Him make you a better worker. Let Him make you a better Christian. Because it's one thing to say, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. Oh, well, preacher. I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. Okay. Okay. Does your life show that? Your everyday life. Because it's one thing to say it. It's completely another thing to live it. And it's pretty easy to live it when you walk into the church house for an hour or two. It's a lot different all those other days that you're out there during the week to follow and heed the counsel of God. But it's possible. With His guidance, with His help, with a resolve Lord, I will live my life for you. I will 
put you first. I will make you my Lord. I will listen to you more than I listen to myself or my peers or my co-workers. Me and Miss Pam can make it nine more days, nine more days, nine more days, we'll be married 42 years. She says it's rocky right now. Looking a little rough. Been the best 37 years of our life. You just said 42, right? But we were married five years before we got saved. We don't like to look back at those years too much. But this other 37, I wish we had 37 more. The counsel of the Lord makes a difference because His blessedness and joy become very real. When you begin to allow Him to guide in your life. To lead you the way that He would have you to go. You know, in light of the truth that we've looked at this morning, it really should be evident that the most pressing issue facing the United States of America today has nothing to do with national security or economic reforms or energy reserves or any other matters which consume the majority of their political energy, the most pressing issue is that we will decide of that, it is of that, come on brain, it is that of what we will decide concerning the Lord God of the Bible. Preacher, you know it's just a short time before, you know, the presidential election. Yeah. Well, what do you think we ought to do about that? I think we ought to vote for the platform. That is more um, like godly principles. Because a platform that goes against the Word of God is uh, not going to lead our nation in a better way. It's not going to lead us to be more blessed by God. We are losing. I I mentioned this last night to someone. We're losing the blessing of God because our people have turned to their own ways. And I truly do believe that God's hand of blessing is being lifted off of our nation. And the only true answer for that is for us to turn back to God. And that is done by individuals. Somebody ought to turn back to God. should be you. Me. Absolutely so. The answer for our nation, for our families, for us as individuals is 
to repent. Turn our heart to God. Listen to Him. Follow Him. I'm just thinking that today would be a real good day to start that. Or one of these days I'm going to get my life right with God. Today would be a good day to do that. I'll tell you, one of these days, preacher, I know I need to be saved. I know I need to trust Christ as my Savior, but I've got some time, and I'll do that. You don't know how much time you have. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. If you don't know that you've truly been born again by the Spirit of God, that you've been saved by the grace of God, that your sins have been forgiven, if you don't know for sure that you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you ought to do that before you leave this place today. We've got people that can help you. We'd love to do that. Today would be a good day to start. If you're here this morning and you are saved by the grace of God, let me just ask you one question. Is He the Lord of your life? Jesus, is He the Lord of your life? I'm not asking you to answer me. I'm just asking you to ask yourself and then be honest with yourself. Is He really the Lord of your life? Or are you still running your life? Preacher, I want to be blessed. You can. Just decide to make Him Lord. Not just on Sundays. But every day. Our God is a loving, wonderful, gracious, merciful God. Not willing to should perish but that all should come to repentance he doesn't want anybody to die and go to hell he offers up the free gift of salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ and his shed blood anybody can have it and he also he also offers a victorious Christian life that can be full of joy when we decide to do things his way it's an amazing God Would you bow your heads with me? Our heads are bowed. Thank you so much for your attentiveness this morning. It's appreciated.